Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a jam-packed day. We're going to talk dairy with Dr. Michael Dykes of the International Dairy Food Association. We're going to get a market update with Arlen Suderman of Stone X. And then in segment three, we're going to check in with RCAV, get a look at their farm bill priorities for the year ahead. Before we do all of that, though, we're going to talk about some changes that have been proposed recently, reducing the amount of milk available to the women, infant, and children under the WIC program from USDA. Joining us now is Dr. Michael Dykes, president of the International Dairy Food Association. Dr. Dykes, what is the USDA doing here? That is right, uh, Mike. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, Mike Pearson, I, I am dumbfounded. I'm just, I am, I am stunned at this proposal from USDA. It's, 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 it's unimaginable what they're, what they're proposing to do. Uh, it's just bad policy. Uh, it does not even meet the federal government's own nutrition guidelines. Uh, it's bad for WIC moms and children. Uh, they are proposing, Mike, to cut the amount of milk provided to WIC moms and their children by up to three gallons a month, depending on uh, how many children they have. A mom with two children, three gallons of milk cut per month. It, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's stunning what they're doing. Uh, it, this type of abrupt change reduction. Uh, will do significant damage to moms. Uh, we've done polling. 20% of WIC participants say they would drop out of the program if the cuts are made. And Mike, that is significant because moms are dropping out of the WIC program at a significant rate already. Uh, the WIC program has lost a million participants in the past five years. Wow. Uh, this is a, a supplemental program to help especially breastfeeding moms and children who are in critical need of the 13 essential nutrients provided by dairy. It, it, it's amazing. WIC, WIC Mike, uh, goes to more than 6 million low-income mothers and children, including an estimated 43% of all infants in the U.S. rely on WIC each year. He's Mike, this is just unbelievable. It is. These are staggering numbers that you're talking about. And Dr. Dykes, what is USDA's rationale for for throwing this proposal out there? What's their reason for it? We 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 don't know. We 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 just simply don't know why they would propose such a thing. And again, this is such a surprise. Uh, the Biden administration would go after those that are most vulnerable amongst us. Children and cutting milk from children. Uh, it is absolutely amazing to me. So it, it, it's going after a core element of WIC. So they're either going to have to use their SNAP dollars if they happen to also be on SNAP, or they're going to have to dig in their pockets. But again, we're talking about a, a, a group of individuals, moms with children, that don't have money in their pockets to dig into. So, you know. I have tremendous respect, Mike, for the people at USDA. They, they, it's a great organization, great agency, does a lot of good things for a lot of people. Uh, but these proposals, uh, they just make no sense. Uh, it's bad for nutrition. Uh, it's bad for WIC moms and their kids. We need to be encouraging participation in the WIC program, not incentivizing more to drop out uh, and denying children the access to the nutritional benefits of milk, the 13 essential nutrients in milk. Uh, ounce for ounce, there isn't a more nutritionally packed product than milk. And Dr. Dykes, it, it flies in the face of what we're seeing from consumers who are consistently choosing whole milk over skim. They're choosing full dairy, full butter over margarine. We understand the importance of dairy to see USDA reel this back for pregnant and breastfeeding women. It is mind boggling. Can you tell us when would this rule or when would this change go into effect if USDA has their way? Well, it's a proposed rule. They proposed it in November. There'll be comments coming in into play on this thing, uh, and then they'll review the comments and in, in, in the next few months will be coming up with a final rule. If anyone listening is as upset and concerned about this as we are, 
I would urge him to contact their member of Congress or their U.S. senator and let them know that they should weigh in on this. And if you don't know who your congressman is or your senator is, uh, you can simply call the switchboard at the U.S. Capitol. And it's, the number is 202-224-3121. Speaking of rules, Dr. Dykes, we also have some other issues that IDFA is pioneering, and these are changes to federal milk marketing orders. I understand you folks have, have pushed for a change here. Can you bring us up to speed on what IDFA would like to see to modernize milk pricing? Yes, we have. We submitted a petition uh, under the USDA under the federal milk marketing orders to change the make allowances or what's uh, allowed uh, for dairy processors to uh, accept to make uh, products out of the milk. Uh, these haven't been changed, Mike, in 16 years. Uh, so can you imagine making products on the same cost basis as 16 years ago? No. Uh, <laughs> So costs have significantly increased. So I don't think there's any disagreement inside the dairy industry, Mike, that we need to change these uh, allowances uh, that processors are paid to make products. Uh, the, the question is, how do we go about it? We've put forth a proposal that's passed all of our boards. Uh, we've submitted that. Wisconsin Cheesemakers has done the same thing. Our proposals are, are uh, very, very similar. Uh, it's the same process that USDA uh, has used in the past. Uh, we're suggesting that that's what we've suggested. Uh, uh, it marks the beginning of what's likely to be a lengthy rulemaking process at USDA. Um, other stakeholder groups will submit petitions. Uh, that's what this process is meant to encourage and to manage. We fully support that. We fully expect that. USDA has tight timetables. Uh, they've got 120 days to complete a hearing. They've got 90 days to issue a recommended decision. You know, so that will uh, probably influence how broad they make this hearing. We, we will wait to see what the others are, and rather than comment on every development, we'll, we'll remain constructive in our engagement with our members, with USDA, and with the entire uh, dairy supply chain. We have worked for months and months to try to find a consensus position uh, to unite this dairy industry, because I, I have said since I've been here at IDFA, Mike, that we will be stronger together if we can stay united, and there's far, far more that unites us than divides us. So we'll see how the process plays out. We want to play a constructive role. And uh, we, we will continue to, to uh, try to play that part. We do work together when everybody is united. Dr. Dykes, if folks want to read up on some of the work that IDFA is doing, where can they go for that information? Uh, go to our website, Mike, uh, idfa.org. Uh, we are quite prolific in putting stuff on our website. So please go there. Uh, Knowledge Center has a lot of our information, stuff we're doing on the people uh, strategy side uh, of our organization, our various events that we have planned. Uh, you'll find a wealth of information about all the many things we're involved in at IDFA with, at idfa.org. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. And Dr. Michael Dykes, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about these issues that are going to impact the dairy industry. Mike, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Stay tuned, folks. More AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. 
Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock. Another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon. Accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're talking now the markets. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, joins us. And Arlen, over the past couple of days, we've seen some back and forth about grain exports out of the Black Sea. Can you bring us up to speed with what's been happening on the ground over there in Ukraine and Russia? Yeah, this has been a drama that's been going on really since last summer. The first agreement that went for 120 days was signed in July of last year, and it was to be extended, you know, when it got extended, it was to be extended 120 days each time. And so we extended it again in November each time before it comes due, Russia starts um, making comments about they're not sure that it's working. They don't want to extend it. And then they do. And then the same thing happened in March, except in March is a little bit different. They said, no, we're extending it for 60 days. <clears throat> Ukraine said, no, the agreement says if it's extended, it's extended for the same amount of time. Well, Russia seems to have won out on that one, and it was extended to March 8th excuse me, May 18th. So that's now the date that is going. Coincidentally, that is right after the presidential election in Turkey. Turkey's a big benefactor of this agreement because all the ships that go into these three approved ports of Ukraine and that leave the ports have to be inspected, both going in and coming out by Turkey. And Turkey's waters, Turkish waters. And that's where the Joint Coordination Center schedules its ships to be inspected. And Russian inspectors are involved then in inspecting those ships. And the president of Turkey, Erdogan, um, is expected to be reelected. And uh, he's a friend of President Putin. And Putin doesn't want to upset him since this benefits Turkey. So it's right after his election that this deadline is. And Russia is acting much more serious this time about not extending the agreement any further because they're trying to leverage this to get their ag bank, their national ag bank, 
allowed back in the SWIFT banking system. The SWIFT banking system is what was used to sanction Russia and to make it difficult for it to do commerce. Its grain and fertilizer can still flow and are still flowing in similar amounts to what was before. You can even argue grain is flowing at a greater pace than what it was prior to the war out of Russia. So this is a little bit of a ruse, but Russia is feeling the pain in those sanctions and they want to get the door open on those sanctions to allow it participation in the SWIFT banking system once again. Um, but it looks like now they're creating more problems. They were slow walking the inspection of ships. Now they've brought inspection to a total halt for a day last week. And then this week for the past two days, they've brought inspection of ships to a halt, stopping the movement of grain out of Ukraine. And this comes also at a time when Eastern European countries who were receiving grain from Ukraine over land are also starting to complain about how it's hurting their prices with this cheap Ukrainian grain being dumped on their markets. Some of the countries have blocked movement of grain. Poland was one of those. It is now today said, okay, you can bring grain into our country as long as it's going to stay on the rail and move all the way through our country to other countries. They're gonna use GPS units on it to track those cars of grain to make sure that they keep moving. And so that will allow some more movement, but that just means that they're dumping the problem on the next countries down the road who will probably complain as well. So it's becoming increasingly more difficult for Ukraine to export corn and wheat. This has been primarily a wheat situation in the eyes of the market, but I think the market's starting to recognize that Ukraine exports more corn than it does wheat, or it has so over the past year, that's been its priority. Interesting, Arlen. But as we take a look at the markets today, despite the fact the crop progress report shows really no improvement to the winter wheat condition across the southern plains, the disruption in getting wheat out of Ukraine, why are we down? Why were we down substantially yesterday in the uh, in the Kansas City wheat market? Well, we'd reached some significant uh, objectives. The $9 level was a key objective on the charts. And if you look at the the um, what do I want to say? The premium that Kansas City wheat was trading over Chicago wheat, uh, almost two dollars, and the premium it was trading over corn. That spread became so great that we just started seeing some profit taking pull back. Does that mean it can't go higher? No, it just means in the near term we ran up against some objectives and and so it's consolidating in here to see if it has the strength to go ahead and push higher. If in fact it does, the Chicago market might be triggered into seeing significant short covering because that's where the spec funds have tremendous ownership of short positions or sold positions in that market that if those charts in Chicago start to turn where we could see some significant short covering occur. Um, and, and corn is starting to get into some lofty territory near some overhead chart objectives as well. So it'll be interesting to watch to see if it can test those levels and push above, for example, the 686 level for the lead May contract is a key level that uh, it's getting close to into test. Arlen, you mentioned short covering there. We've seen it on the, we have the potential to see a lot more of it on the wheat side. Soybeans, we saw some substantial short covering here over the past several weeks. How is that market looking today from a market structure perspective? Generally positive. Uh, we're seeing some unwinding of some of the bull spreading that we'd seen of late, and that's in both corn and soybeans. That bull spreading was largely based on the expectations of tight old crop but better prospects for new crop supplies. And so we had taken those spreads, the old crop, new crop spreads up there to levels. Now we're seeing a little bit of unwinding of that and profit taking of that. Uh, but overall, we're seeing some firm support underneath of the soybean market as well today with new crop actually leading the way as we unwind those spreads. Well, on that new crop front, Arlena, the focus is turning to weather here across the growing season. We do have some soybeans in the ground across the country. We've got some corn going in the ground across the country. Are there weather risks starting to percolate into this market yet? 
Oh, there really are. And the eyes now are on this coming weekend when we're going to see some cold air, much colder than the last uh, front that came through, drop down into the plains across Kansas, maybe even to northern Oklahoma with some freezing temperatures uh, on Saturday morning. And then on Sunday, it, as it moves east and on Sunday morning and Monday morning, covering the rest of the Midwest. And at this point, the models disagree, but there is some significant risk we could see the frost and maybe even the freeze line drop all the way down to the southern Midwest and maybe even below the Ohio River Valley. So that's a key we're going to have to watch. Now, obviously, seed that's in the ground, probably going to be okay, depending on how long it stays cold. But crops that have emerged, and we've seen some planting all the way up even into Minnesota and Wisconsin. So any crops that have emerged are vulnerable to seeing that freeze damage and may need to be replanted. The market's not overly worried at this point because it's early enough that traders will say, well, it may be an expense to the farmer that he still has time to replant. And so the market's not overly concerned at this point, but it certainly is a concern of farmers across the Midwest. It is indeed. Arlen, I want to turn our focus before we let you go here to the cattle market. We've seen that cash market continue, or at least it climbed a lot last week. We haven't seen much cash trade that I'm aware of as of yet this week. Do you have a sense of what that cash number might come in at for the bulk of trade this week? Well, the general expectations is still steady to firmer this week. We've seen some tremendous gains over the last couple of weeks. We've seen the choice cuts moving up uh, over $306 yesterday. We'll see where they end up at today. That's getting pretty close to the spring target we'd set at $310. Um, the Packers have started to slow the chains down to try to maintain their margins that tighten up the supply of meat even more. We've got a big cattle on feed report coming out on Friday that's going to be critical generally expecting uh, placements and on-feed numbers to be down about 5% from year-ago levels. We expect beef production to be down about 10% by the time we get to the end of this year. That's providing support for the market overall. This market is in the process of trying to find that price level that will start to cause the consumer to shift down the value chain from beef down to pork, down to poultry. Arlen, taking a look at the pork market yesterday, it doesn't seem like too many buyers are moving into that market quite yet, are they? Exactly right, which is evidence that we really haven't shifted that demand from beef down to pork yet. We've got the excess of supplies in the pork there. We're just looking for that retailer to pull those prices down to a level that will start to clear those supplies and help facilitate that shift from beef consumption down to pork consumption. Keep an eye on those prices in your grocery store, folks. We've been talking today with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. And Arlen, as always, thank you so much for joining us here today. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Well, folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, we're going to look at the policies impacting the cattle industry with Brett Kenzie, president of RCAF. Leave it here. We'll be back with more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Palm oil fell nearly 1.6% today and bean oil futures are down hard, reacting to the falling crude oil market, halting a two-day rally. 
Malaysian palm oil exports in the first half of March were reported to be down nearly 21% from the previous month as palm oil became more expensive to rival veg oils. Now, the number one importer, India, is reported to have canceled 75,000 metric tons of palm oil in favor of cheaper sunflower and bean oil. Brazil continues to dominate world export markets and has now harvested 86% or close to 4.9 billion bushels of their record soy crop. Now, on a pessimistic outlook for future demand, China has a plan in place for reducing the amount of soy meal in feed rations from over 15% in 2021 to 13.5% by 2025. That would, of course, lead to lower soybean imports for China in the future. Now, the wheats are down this morning. They're getting a bit of pressure from French milling wheat futures. They're down hard after three straight higher closes. And as in wheat, corn is also being pressured by news that Ukraine grain inspections have resumed and that Poland once again will allow grain shipments to transit through the country. Bulgaria, however, has joined three other countries in banning Ukraine grain imports. Weather in the U.S. remains active with showers and storms moving across the country. Snow is falling in Montana and will in North Dakota. Rain is moving through South Dakota, Minnesota, eastern Nebraska, and Iowa. Cold weather follows and is now expected to remain into early May. Corn planting will no doubt be slowed and flooding in North Dakota still remains a concern. Now, the corn basis remains stout with Central Illinois corn bids reported to be as high as 60 cents over the July contract with Iowa bids 55 cents over in some locations. Ethanol margins have risen and traders will be looking at the EIA's weekly petroleum report to see if there has been a pickup in ethanol production. The VIX is trading below 17. The dollar is about flat and crude oil is down about a buck 50 a barrel. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA marches on today. Thanks for taking the time to make us a part of your day. And we are turning our focus in this incredible period of cattle market excitement. We're turning our focus back to the policies that impact the cattle market. And joining us today for a discussion is Brett Kenzie. He serves as president of RCAF. And Brett, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hey, I appreciate you. Appreciate the opportunity, Mike. Well, there certainly is no shortage of issues confronting cattle producers here in 2023, Brett. We've got one that we're kind of on a clock for. There's an RFID traceability issue percolating with USDA that producers need to act on by today, don't they? Absolutely, yep. We've uh, been given the opportunity to make comments on regulation.gov, which is USDA's website to uh, allow public comment on these proposed rules, and we want to urge people to get on there and make those comments. And Brett, just so we're all on the same page, this is the rule that USDA is proposing electronic animal tags for animals that, that cross state lines. Is that right? Yep. The, the current proposal is for animals over 30 months of age crossing interstate lines. But, you know, RCAF has long been opposed to mandatory ID dating all the way back to the early 2000s. You know, currently, the 2013 animal disease traceability rules, they offer flexibility to producers because, you know, part of the cattle industry's strength is, is the diversity and the widespread production, and, and that leads to different practices, different uses. And, you know, those, those current rules have served us well with flexibility. Um, really, we should unpack how those rules have worked a little bit, and I took it right out of a USDA publication 
uh, those rules were introduced in 2013, and by 2020, baseline traceability had been carved down to 11 and a half hours, which is 42 times faster than it was in 2013 when those rules were adopted. Now, by 2022, more than half of the states could trace animals in a half an hour. So this, this current system is working well. And uh, we just feel that this mandate, you know, uh, spending $26 million to cover 11 to 12 percent of cattle, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to spend that much money in, in that way and, and to cover such a small percentage. So I think, you know, my fear, I think the fear of RCAF and a lot of the people who've commented, most of the comments I've read so far on that website are negative comments or not in favor of this program. And uh, I think it comes back to the point, if we can trace an animal with a disease issue to the site of infection within 11 hours in the worst case or 30 minutes in the best case, it seems like the system we've got is working. Yeah, you know, as we roll into this, we, we hear some some other ag groups with almost evangelical fervor talking about the dangers of foot and mouth disease. And I, I couldn't agree with them more. You know, this is my full-time occupation, raising cattle. My pens are full. We're, we're calving right now. I'm as worried about it as anybody. So that, that worry over this disease is, uh, it's warranted. But really when, when you look at the history, I think that funding and our emphasis would be better served, you know, to take a quick look back over the last 25 years, what we've done in terms of security in this country. In 1995, we dropped our foreign safety standards from at least equal to equivalent for imported beef. In 97, our policy was to prohibit imports from countries with pernicious disease, but we dropped it back to accepting imports from regionally free regions within those countries having problems. In 99, we quit requiring monthly inspections of processing plants and we adopted periodic inspections instead, periodic announced inspections. In, in 05, we relaxed the import ban on beef and cattle from country of mad cow disease. And more recently, we've seen the resumption of fresh beef imports from Brazil. And, you know, that is an issue that I think all the cattle groups agree on. And we've uh, petitioned USDA and, and the president to stop those fresh beef imports because FMD, you know, FMD is the, the biggest worry, I think, on everybody's mind. It can be spread 12 miles airborne. That's from a USDA publication. It, you know, to quote, meat, chilling and freezing preserves the virus. So it just stands to reason that I, I think that our emphasis should be not on this electronic ID program with the tags that from all common sense say probably the chips mandate or they originate from China. I just I would like to see a different emphasis. And I, I hope that the people listening here will maybe appreciate that and maybe we can uh, shut this down for once and for all and create a strong defense because uh you know if we get FMD in here, you get it in feral hogs, you get it in wildlife, we're we're gonna be spending the rest of our life fighting it off. It will be a battle, that's for sure. Folks, if you have thoughts on the regulations about the RFID tags, get online, regulations.gov. That's where the uh, the rule is pending. It's from the USDA. You can get your comments on there. Get those comments registered. That does help shape these policy discussions. And, Brett, while we're talking about policy discussions being shaped, the big one in Washington, D.C. this year, of course, is the Farm Bill. From RCAF's perspective, what are the high-level issues you're hoping to, to get into this 2023 Farm Bill? You know, there's a few main points, and of course, the first one is to restore competition. Because I don't, I don't think anybody wanted to work for the government. We wanted to work for the market, and the market is the best informer of the supply chain on, you know, the numbers, the rebuilding of our herd that we hope will occur here going forward. Since we've got the smallest cow herd since 1962, uh, probably our our hallmark push will be for the American Beef Labeling Act to reinstate MCOOL. It's a uh, a uh, sh very short bill, very concise, Senate Bill 52. We've got Boone, Tester, Rounds, Booker, Loomis, and Gillibrand on it right now. Uh, we've been assured that it's a priority for a number of senators, and 
I guess we just want people to keep calling Congress and keep pushing because it's uh, probably the first step in competition is to give the consumers the opportunity to demand American raised beef. And, Brett, the details of that American Beef Labeling Act, of course, this is effectively just going to reinsert beef and ground beef into the 2002 existing MCOOL law. Is that right? Well, it directs the U.S. Trade Representative to figure out what is a trade-compliant way to do this. You know, it it gives them a certain amount of time to get that done. Essentially, we're just uh, directing the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. to do their job and to uh, get this pushed through and uh, to do it in a timely manner. And the big change with the American Beef Labeling Act, if I recall correctly, Brett, is that you're also pushing not just for product of X country, but born, raised, and slaughtered and processed in the country in which that animal is from, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, a lot gets made. Uh, people accuse our calf wanting to ban imports, and we, we we do want to ban imports of meat like that fresh beef from Brazil. But we're definitely not against all imports. But we just want to, you know, have a truthful representation to the consumer. Uh, these labeling laws have, have been a quite a quagmire here in a lot of different respects, and I think just. Uh, whether you're Make America Great Again or America First, this is the first step to allowing competition to begin to rebuild our herd. The other conversation that's brewing in Washington, D.C., that RCAF has, has really been crucial in getting started is the conversation around checkoff reform. This is something you've been pushing for for some time. Can you fill us in a little bit on, on what you'd like to see? You know, I, I think all of us know that we would be well served with the a useful and responsive checkoff that maybe returns to the original principles that was established under. And that's why we support the OFF Act. Uh, it's been sponsored by Mike Lee, Cory Booker, uh, Rand Paul, Elizabeth Warren, and Kristen Gillibrand. And that's S557 if anybody wants to look at it. And uh, basically, again, it just kind of uh, instructs the USDA on what producers would like to see from their checkoff, setting up some accountability, some uh, some real firewalls, I guess. And, you know, one of the bullet points on that would be to prohibit checkoff programs from con- contracting with any organization that lobbies on ag policy. That would be a big one. Uh, prohibit agents of the checkoff board from engaging in activities that might involve conflicts of interest. Uh, prohibiting anti-competitive activity uh, requiring transparency through publication of checkoff budgets and expenditures and periodic audits of compliance. Now, you know, we see a lot of audits, but those are just purely financial audits. Not very often do we get compliance audits with the act and the order conducted. So, you know, I hear people that just to be real blunt here and to be honest, to get right down to it, some people are wary of it because Cory Booker's on it, but this Here's the deal. It takes Republicans and Democrats to pass law. And when you have a bill like this that's very straightforward, that just really only requires transparency and integrity, we need people from both sides of the aisle when you have very conservative-leaning senators and and maybe more liberal senators coming together. That means maybe we've got a bill that right up the middle It's not going to damage anyone. It's only going to create more accountability because uh, the checkoff has been a pretty divisive issue. And I think that if we could get some faith in it, it would really serve the industry well. Brett, before we let you go, if we've got listeners who want to learn more about RCAF's positions on these issues as summer goes along, where's the best place to go for that information? Well, you can go to our website at www.rcafusa.com. Folks, that's Brett Kenzie, president of RCAF. Brett, thank you so much for taking the time away from your cattle operation and feedlot to join us today. Thank you, Mike. Stay tuned. More AOA right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. You are not your diagnosis. 
A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. Over 2.8 million Americans have served in our military since 9-11. Many have returned home with devastating injuries and few resources for them and their families. This is news correspondent Bob Woodruff. I sustained a life-threatening injury while reporting from Iraq in 2006. The military had my back that day and they have each other's while serving. It's time we had theirs. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative. To learn more, go to gotyoursix.org using the number six.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Again, I'm in Washington, D.C. for the next day or so here for Washington Watch, part of the National Association for Farm Broadcasters. Yesterday, we had the chance to listen to a number of administrative officials come in and provide updates on the various stages of their operations, of their of their aspects of the federal government. And uh, one of the folks we heard from uh, was USDA Agricultural Undersecretary Jenny Moffitt yesterday was testifying on Capitol Hill. She was testifying in front of the House Ag Committee, and we had several of her representatives come in, and they talked through a number of the different issues they are working with in that side of USDA. And the big issue there, especially what Moffitt was testifying about on the Hill, HPAI. We've talked about some of the details that USDA has released around their HPAI fight. The numbers are pretty staggering. $1.3 billion spent so far over the past 14 months fighting this HPAI outbreak. Now, that figure also includes some money that's been spent working to keep African swine fever out of the country, notably particularly down there in the Caribbean region where ASF has been found on the Dominican Republic. However, bring the focus back to HPAI, uh, Undersecretary Moffitt said, quote, at this stage of the outbreak, continuing our current strategy of eradication or stamping out HPAI is our best and most effective option. We continue to stress more than anything else the importance of strong biosecurity to every producer. That is one of those ongoing issues that she is going to be talking about, and it was brought up to her during the the house testimony the issue of france looking to vaccinate their poultry flock now that was brought up it was uh, raised it was an issue raised by a number of legislators and at the end of the day usda is not looking to promote a vaccine now the ars ag research service is developing a vaccine to use on bird flu strains so that quote according to jenny moffett we are prepared in the unlikely event we should ever have to turn to vaccination to complement our eradication efforts. Uh, she said, realistically, it could be 18 to 24 months before a vaccine would even be available here in the United States. So it's it's not a realistic issue for American producers right now. And it doesn't sound like vaccination is going to be a focus of USDA going forward. Now, we do have some updates on the geopolitical events moving the world of agriculture. We, uh, we talked with Arlen there about the updates to the Ukrainian grain trade. And as he mentioned, we continue to see that move back and forth. However, we did just get an update here after speaking with Arlen that grain ships are moving once again. The inspections have started in the Black Sea. It was a two-day shutdown, as Arlen mentioned, and now they've restarted. We don't know for how long these inspections are going to be allowed to happen. I think Arlen summed up a lot of the issues that this is going to be back and forth for the next month here in the Black Sea. However, we are still seeing ongoing conversations between Poland and Ukraine, Hungary and Ukraine, and Slovakia and Ukraine as they work to find ways to move that grain out of Ukraine, but also without impacting the growers in those countries that this grain has been moving into, because that is creating a bit of backlash there in Eastern Europe. Now, we do have an update on meat sales here for the month of March. Uh, this is compiled by 210 Analytics and Marie Roerink put this together, looking at the, the different aspects of food purchasing. And she notes that for the first time in many months, inflation for total food and beverages, so looking at the entire class as a whole, it stayed in the single digits for March of 2023. The price per unit across all foods and beverages increased 9.8% over March of 2022. And remember, we had that CPI figure from the government, which pulls out food and energy costs. It showed inflation at 5% over March of 2022. Just looking at food, that inflation pressure still running near 10% higher than it was a year ago. And here's the staggering statistic. Food prices are 21.43% higher than they were two years ago in March of 2021, and they are 27.4% higher than March of 2020. That is a 30% rate of inflation here on, uh, on food at the grocery store as a category. There's no wonder that uh, consumers are starting to notice. Now, according to Anne-Marie Rowick, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that in March, restaurant prices increased 8.4%. We saw this predominantly occurring in some of the 
major cities across the country. The U.S. Government Accountability Office reported that low-income households are spending about 30% of their total income on foods. And uh, that's troubling. Uh, low-income households tend to over-index for the share of meals prepared at home. They're spending about, uh, excuse me, about 80% of all low-income household meals are consumed at home versus 74% for those making more than $100,000. So you pick up another 6% of dining out when that uh, paycheck crosses into the six-digit realm. We did see some interesting things. Ham and lamb were leading the retail sales at uh, the grocery store in the month of March. Not terribly surprising, given that we did have an early Easter this year. Probably saw many folks looking to stock up, particularly on some of those products that have been at a discount. Lamb and pork have both been relatively affordable relative to a, uh, to a number of other foods out there at the grocery store. One update here from North Carolina. The state of North Carolina has announced that uh, they are proposing some environmental curbs to the state's poultry farm. Now, this is a bill brought forth by Rep. Pricey Harrison, a uh, Democrat in the state legislature, and this would be the first of their kind in the nation, environmental controls on poultry farms and poultry waste. Now, this is coming after uh, some recent media in North Carolina discussing the impact of the booming poultry impact, or poultry industry, and importantly, that industry impact on properties and waterways. And uh, while this bill will be coming out here very shortly, uh, the big picture items are they're looking to ban the building of industrial-sized animal operations in floodplains and mandate a broad study of the industry's environmental and public health aspects. Now, this bill also for the first time would require poultry farms with more than 30,000 birds to apply for environmental permits, and new farms would have to be designed, constructed, and operated so that, quote, there is no discharge of pollutants to waters of the state. Now, given the size and the impact of the poultry industry in North Carolina, it will be something to watch to see how this bill moves forward in that state and what kind of impact it could have longer term. Do have an update here from Washington, D.C. We are expected to see a Senate Ag Committee hearing on SNAP and other nutrition programs uh, that was supposed to be happening a little earlier today. It will be pushed up to today at noon. Uh, no doubt, as that SNAP conversation heats up, we'll be finding some fault lines here in the negotiations over the 2023 Farm Bill. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in to AOA today. Join us tomorrow. We'll have some more conversations with ag experts, and we'll talk with Cesar Cruz of Advanced trading about the crop that's developing right now in South America. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.